0: Welcome to Uncharted, The Road to Recovery, an FRP podcast hosted by me, Rebecca Byrne Callender. In this seven-part series, we'll be identifying and analysing the issues facing the UK business community in the wake of the coronavirus pandemic. Against a backdrop of unique economic challenges, we'll ask how businesses are adapting to grow back stronger and how the lessons they've learned will shape the world of work in years to come. Join me as we hear the experiences and views of experts and business leaders from across the UK, all united in the common task of helping steer the economy in uncharted territory. Hello and welcome to the first episode of Uncharted, The Road to Recovery, a new seven part podcast series produced by FRP to look at the UK business community's response to COVID-19. I'm Rebecca byrne Callender. I'm a business journalist and the former enterprise editor of The Telegraph. I'm joined today by Ed Reeves, the co-founder of Moneypenny, an outsourced PA, switchboard and live chat business with offices in the UK and the US. Martin Curry is also with us today. He is the managing director of CityPress, Press, a PR and communications agency representing some of the UK's best loved brands. I'm also delighted to welcome Andrew Sheridan, Insolvency Practitioner and a partner at FRP who leads the advisory team in the Southwest and Wales. It's very exciting to have these guests with me today as communication lies at the heart of their day-to-day activities, whether it's advising businesses on resilience, providing the means for thousands of companies to communicate with their customers, or managing brand reputation and helping organisations to reach the public and the media. So today's episode is all about the lessons in communication that have been forced upon us by the pandemic. The world changed almost overnight and face-to-face conversations were no longer possible. Staff had to work from home and many people faced new and unforeseen challenges. We'll be talking about the wonderful and brilliant ways that businesses have adjusted their communication strategies both internally and externally in the wake of COVID-19 and sharing some of the mistakes that have been made along the way. Welcome everyone and thanks so much for joining me today I would like to start by talking about the internal communication side and how that's been affected by the crisis. Um, Maybe you could start us off, Ed. I mean, when lockdown hits, what were your immediate actions to ensure that business could continue trading?
1: Well, we were in quite an interesting position where um, all our clients suddenly pretty much turned to us and said, how do... We keep our communications going with our clients whilst our offices are being torn up, as it were. And so it was was quite an interesting one. So so suddenly, in terms of the the staff at Moneypenny, it was about um, impressing upon them um, how important it was that we kept ticking along. Um, We were absolutely critical to the sustained success of our clients. And um, we had to convey that over to the team to make sure that they realized the importance that business had to go on as normal um it was sort of it was almost that sort of blitz spirit type thing um and by telling them all that um you are it you're the critical link and you're the only way that these clients of ours will keep ticking and uh it was an extraordinary thing because it sort of empowered them to feel that they had an opportunity to shine it was it was their chance to stand up and say we are really valuable to our clients we're really valuable to money penny whatever we do we will keep this the wheels turning
0: and there are a thousand odd people working for you right and they all had to transition to working from home from being completely office based is that is that right
1: yeah that that is an amazing thing really because we had um prior to this um we had no home workers um and and we really never entertained the idea because our, our clients you know, at the end of the day if you ring a big law firm and somebody's answering their reception you know whilst doing the washing up it doesn't really betray the image you want to portray uh, and so so we never entertained the idea of homework in terms of handling the calls and so on um and suddenly um we were given what was effectively two weeks notice to turn a thousand people from being office-based into home-based and um that was an extraordinary moment. And, and, and what happened was, in terms of what I was saying just now about that whole blitz spirit, the whole company chipped in and um, started adding value to how they could work at home. How, how could they sustain the service standards that were expected of us from their back bedroom? Um, and right from the IT team through to um, you know, the, the people handling the calls themselves, it was just all hands-on, we will make this happen. Even to the point where you know, the IT team pretty much brought sleeping bags into the office and said, we're not moving for two weeks. We will get this done. Um, and we had people you know, saying, look, I've got this monitor at home. I've got this and so on. And it was just it was a wonderful moment where everyone came together. And the energy enthusiasm that came out of that served us so well over you know, well the
0: period since. I love the idea of everyone pulling together like that. And I think it's quite remarkable that the speed that you managed to to kind of pull that off. Um, Andrew, do you mind just telling us, is that unique? I mean, how quickly did other companies that you spoke to, that you were in contact with, make this transition? And and kind of, was this blitz spirit common among small to medium businesses? Or was, you know, was was it really out out of the ordinary?
2: I think most of the businesses we encountered did similar, similarly really well. They uh, reacted very quickly, just as we did ourselves. Uh, you know, we quickly moved to working from home. And the, the most important thing is to make sure you have a seamless service still for your the clients you're working with. And perhaps one of the biggest challenges uh, we faced was that we were actually in the middle or just had started a trading administration. So we're actually running a business on the factory floor down in Crewkerne in Somerset we had to keep running that but we couldn't be on site and it was a real challenge but most most businesses that we have uh, had close contact with have managed remarkably well and the the the, re- the resilience has been incredible and The IT systems of firms have stood up fantastically well. I think there were some challenges in the first week with calls dropping out because the system was overloaded. But generally speaking, I think whether it's uh, professional services firms or whatever firms, uh, you know, everybody coped remarkably well.
0: And that's a really, really good point about technology, because we we would have all been stuck if we hadn't already had all these tools at our disposal to keep in touch with one another, our customers, our suppliers. I'd love to hear um, which tools you all found the most useful. Martin, I mean, what were you using at City Press? What were the companies that you deal with, working with to make sure that that they could continue trading? Mm
3: I'd say they were probably in two camps in a way. In in one sense, there was obviously a huge reliance upon video conferencing platforms, whether that's Zooms or Teams, various others. um, And I think that's been more primarily for structured conversations, structured meetings. um, And that's been the primary way in which most businesses have been able to keep collaborating, um, keep innovating and keep delivering a service, keeping employees connected. But I think on the other hand, Um, Certainly we and a lot of businesses that we represent have used different platforms for less structured um, conversation and catch ups with teams, which is just as important, really, because what we're trying to do is replicate, um, you know, that kind of water cooler chat that you get in a physical office um, on a on a platform. And what we did was um, we set up a closed group uh, on Facebook Live. And in there, we just shared kind of nonsense, if I'm honest. So, um, you know, just fun stuff that people were doing, um, just trying to keep everybody connected, but trying to keep some levity to the situation. So we had, yes, you know, weekly Zoom updates with all of our staff where we're talking about impacts on the business, great work we're doing for our clients, etc. And we had daily calls with our clients on Microsoft Teams. But it was some of that unstructured chat, uh, if you like, uh, and just content sharing that um that you needed an agency agencies like ours very much thrive on on culture connectivity on inspiration on innovation and, and you need some unstructured nonsense to help you uh help you find that i think
0: ed was that true at money penny did you need the unstructured chat as well to keep the, <clears throat> kind of that blitz spirit you talked about going keep morale high what were the technology platforms that you found most valuable
1: well, yeah, um, precisely the same as Martin's experience in, in that. Um, but w- we were quite fortunate in that um, our philosophy as a business has always been to try and blend that home and work life as much as possible. And that doesn't mean people taking work home. It meant people bringing home into work. Um, so in terms of know yeah, we have a sort of a, a money penny eBay system and uh, all this sort of stuff uh, and the t- tool that we've used historically um, and still really use all the time and that's workplace from facebook and i i feel like i'm an advertising slogan for workplace because it's been extraordinary for us and we have 98 percent engagement on it and engagement is um you know, people who interact with it more than four times a day and most of the noise that we have on workplace is totally not work related um yeah it's all about you know, it's people sharing recipes and so on so so uh, and, and even prior to the lockdown um nearly half of the engagement was people interacting with it in their own time in the evenings. And so it was just a case of us just reinforcing that. And then um, at the same time, Joanna, the chief exec, um, made a big thing about keeping company updates constantly coming through. So so it was a bit like, um, uh, I think she likened it to having an auntie in hospital, is that if you've got an auntie in hospital and... She's expecting an update, you know, or, or a visit the following day at ten o'clock. If you don't deliver that visit, she's disappointed, uh, and you know, it, it could be just waving and and wandering out again. But you have to keep that consistency there. Uh, and so that was probably the only major change we made. And um, you know, we just encouraged constant use of workplace, and um, we we probably put more of our um, serious. Um, business comms over the platform as well and it it worked i mean the engagement is as high as it ever was and um and the number of recipes being shared on there is as high as it ever was which I, i think is probably our judge of um how well that's
3: going i think ed's made an interesting point there that i think um certainly what we've observed is more brands and businesses Step up their internal comms, recognizing actually in a time like this, particularly in a health emergency, not just a financial crisis that we saw in 2008. This is a very different kind of crisis where employee safety, security, well-being has been absolutely front and center, uh, and therefore internal comms has become, you know, the primary focus for you know on a on a boardroom agenda, frankly, not just in the comms team's agenda. And stepping up that regularity, frequency of internal comms has been important because without that, you get a vacuum, and in uncertain times, people fill that with speculation and therefore and concern. Therefore, it's been critically important as a as a channel. I think.
0: Andrew, I I saw you nodding there. Is is that something that you've seen as well? Companies that may have not spent any time thinking about internal communications, tone of voice, anything like that, now really putting it up front. Making it a priority.
2: Thanks, absolutely, and I couldn't agree more with uh, what Ed and Martin have said, as well as the uh, video conferencing platforms for the more formal, structured meetings. The internal comms, uh, certainly of our own business and our own our own unit uh, in the southwest, we had we used a WhatsApp group. And we had a rule that you couldn't put anything to do with business on it. And actually, it was actually very in the first few days, it was actually very amusing, including weekends. And people have been sharing their haircuts or lack of haircuts uh, and the growth of their beards. It's been quite amusing. And uh, in fact, I think we've probably got to know a lot more about each other as people, as families through this crisis than we ever did before. And there's been far more sharing. And. Yeah, as well as the business side of things, where we've had a a regular Monday morning call and continual updates, I would say there's been vastly more communication across just business and social uh, aspects of life than we've ever had before. It's been enlightening and and very positive and constructive, and that's what we've seen in other businesses too, Vax.
0: And we've talked a bit about the light-hearted conversations that, that employers are having amongst one another and that bit you know leaders are having with their staff but what about the serious conversations because a lot of companies have had to deal with things like furloughing their staff they've had to deal with um getting government support and, and, and really have those quite difficult conversations with their people um do you think that that I mean has that been straightforward Is this been a, a kind of steep learning curve um Ed, do you have any experience with this do you have to have any of those tough conversations
1: um, well, in terms of the furlough side of it, um, actually, uh, I, I think we were all helped enormously by the weather. Uh, and um, <laughs> as we, so we, we, it sounds mad, but um, we, you know, if, if you're sitting at home and somebody says, do you want to tap away and work all day? Or, or do you want to take a slight, you know, bit of a drop in salary and guilt-free um, sit out in the garden? Then um, people were putting their hands up. Uh, and so we were quite fortunate in that we... We put the furlough word out there and we said, you know, if anybody wants to furlough, um, put your hand up. And, um, and what happened was people, um, by then, we'd you know, transitioned everyone to the homeworking sort of model. And um, we, we knew that furlough was on the cards. And so what happened was people knew that they had either you know, broadband in their area wasn't good enough and that sort of thing. Uh, and so um, w- we ended up with this list. Of we had a fifty percent, nearly a fifty percent drop in call traffic, and um, we knew we didn't want to drop staff down to fifty percent, so we wanted to to furlough about thirty percent of staff, and um, we had about thirty-five percent hands up for furlough. So, so, uh, um, I am the, uh, I have all the praise in the world for what the government did at that moment, for the way they communicated it, and the way that the Um, It wasn't presented as a redundancy moment. It was a case of you're helping your business if you opt for this. And um, our staff took that in the spirit it was intended. And so so, so we we worked through with people on it. it. It went very well.
0: That sounds amazing that it was just a natural transition, that people actually were willing to to make that move. You didn't have to have it. wasn't an awkward conversation for you. Um, And I, I bet that was the case for for a lot of companies, actually. Now that you mentioned the great weather and the fact that people were probably anxious and they just wanted a bit of a break, that might have been true for for a lot of workers. Um, Martin I just wanted to bring you in here because obviously this conversation is about internal communications but is there really any such thing as internal communications anymore because we've we've heard quite a lot in the press for example about the companies that didn't treat their staff that well that didn't communicate that well there are so many platforms for getting the word out social media Glassdoor. I mean how much does it affect a brand when internal communications go slightly awry?
3: Well, enormously is the short answer. I think what, um, Kantar have been producing some really interesting insight on this. And, um, one thing they found was when they asked customers of brands, what was most important in terms of brands' reaction to the crisis? It was actually how they treat their staff. And that was before issues such as product supply, um, product pricing. Um, so the looking to looking to brands, um, and how they were protecting, safeguarding and prioritizing their staff was massively important. So when you got those um, examples of brands which didn't follow the right practice, tonally it was deaf, or just misjudged, um, you know, the mood of the nation. Um, what happened was staff would take those um, internal comms, blast them all over social media and often at various different um, commentators and media uh, in, increasingly. And all of a sudden, that became a national media story, which did a lot of damage to a lot of brands. Um, Britannia Hotels made a, a, a classic gaffe, in my in my view, where they they basically wrote to all staff. This was pretty much soon after hard lockdown on the 23rd of March, telling them by letter that their services were no longer required. Um, and it was just um, well, you can imagine the media's reaction to it. You can imagine um, Stats' reaction to it, and that's just one example of how you can just get this spectacularly wrong. That there, there are different ways in which you can deliver deliver the same message. Um, so yeah, that's um, that's certainly been. And then by contrast, you've had brands that have really stepped up, recognizing that um, their employees were critical during this time prioritise communications with them and actually they've been called out by the media as having taken absolutely the right action absolutely the right approach and have lived their brand values a little bit if you see what I mean through through this crisis
0: yeah I suppose that's it there's nowhere to hide now it's when a company is under pressure it's how they behave under those circumstances and then people don't people don't forget I was wondering, Andrew, if you've seen—you mentioned earlier working with a factory, a composite manufacturer, I think it was. Have you noticed any real uh, sector-specific differences in terms of um, how prepared they were um, to reach out to their staff to to have great internal comms? Have you seen that, you know, some some industries were just much better prepared than others?
2: Well, that was a manufacturing business, and and one of the interesting things of the whole of the lockdown is that most manufacturing businesses have continued to manufacture. A lot of people forget that. And uh, within those businesses, those people that are able to work at home have worked at home, as we've all been discussing. But of course, those that are required to turn the machines on the factory floor have to go to the factory. And that continued. And it was remarkable, the resilience and determination of, of those people to keep going. And managing that remotely at times was Almost slightly uh, embarrassing because you felt you were managing that business uh, and, and 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 ensuring it continued properly, and yet you were sitting at home uh, facilitating that whilst they were on the factory floor. And uh, but they they carried it on. And one of the things that we implemented was a daily COVID call, uh, and and that was absolutely incredible. And we had an amazing HR uh, manager, Andrew Warbakis, who who went beyond the call of duty. And every day we had a regular update on who was infected within the business. And there were several people that did get COVID, uh, sadly. Uh, They all recovered, but one in particular actually was seriously ill in Musgrave's Hospital. And there there came one weekend where we weren't quite sure whether he was going to make it or not. And Those sort of daily calls and getting those sort of updates was... But fascinating and and, and what we what we found is we were actually having to tell people, no you cannot come back into the fact you've got to do your mandatory fourteen days, but they felt so committed because they were fighting for their survival as a business they wanted that business to survive and be sold they wanted to be part of it fortunately, we did sell it, but so we were almost having to force them to comply with uh, health and safety regulation and stay at home when they wanted to come into the factory, and a lot of that I don't think people realized was going on a lot of people did work hard and putting all those processes in place uh, they weren't at home furloughing they were down on the factory floor working hard
0: yeah it's 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 a good point to mention because i think that it's um it's a lot of those businesses the manufacturing businesses that have been quietly just getting on with things mm. that maybe haven't been um very good at shouting about the fact that they're still they're still working they haven't been putting any energy or resource into the external communications because they, everything's been focused on sort of keeping going and um and saving their businesses which actually brings us quite neatly onto the subject of external communication so how how a lot of brands have been talking to their customers or um stakeholders or just generally marketing themselves or trying to win new business which has been i think incredibly difficult or has it um ed what, what have you been doing at MoneyPenny? Have you been um, have you been winning new clients? Have you been um, speaking regularly to your existing customers? What about what what's the outward bound um, communications been like for you?
1: Well, I think the the, um, the question that everybody wants to know is what are their suppliers doing, isn't it? Straight away, um, and you think um, yeah, we, if, we're, if we're struggling here, what what's going to impact us even more? Um, and so we we took that. Um, by the horns, and as soon as we um, realized that lockdown was happening, um, well, in the run up to lockdown, we just shared with them um, exactly what's happening um, in terms of transitioning to home working, um, consistency of service. And, and Dara said, we also shared with them where there would be compromises, um, and, and, and albeit they were, they were minimal, but um, it meant that because you know, we knew that suddenly Money Penny had to. Um, launch everything up into the cloud in two weeks which was never in the cloud before for example the winner was amazon web services (laughs) and you know the hundred thousand pound um a month later um we managed to do it but um and and so it's just about saying to the clients this is what the future is Um, There was no shame in that in that the clients knew that um, um well we knew that the clients would judge us by the effort we put in to um maintain the quality of service for them uh, and and so as long as we shared that effort that then they without exception they worked with us and, and then we also did a thing where we presented to the clients the opportunity to pause money penny service so, um, so we said look guys you know if your calls are going to fall through the floor don't worry we you know, this is an opportunity for you you can put us on pause and just um, park it until the time's good for you to come back. Uh, and no limits on that at all. And then we backed that up again by providing to the clients a free service because we knew a lot of people were, it was about cash, um, kept holding cash for, um, for every business, basically. And so we provided them with um, what will be a, a big um part of Moneypenny, which is digital switchboard, which is an automated version of speech recognition to replace human interactions. And we said that's free for our clients. There was a big uptake of that. And so we actually um, did that again in terms of an um, a external thing. And, and we just put it out in the press that if anybody's got no staff in their office without inheriting any costs, they can take on digital switchboard. And um, you know, hundreds, thousands, thousands of businesses took that on. And uh, it's been a good thing. It's been
3: a very good thing.
0: That's so clever, so clever to take an idea where, you know, people are struggling and you come straight out and say, I'm going to make life easier for you. I'm going to give you something for free. Um, it, it,
1: it's the right thing to do. And, and, and I think that that's where um, I'm sure, you know, Andrew, Martin, um, you will you, support this. is what, If you think it's the right thing to do, invariably, it is the thing to do. And certainly in this scenario, if it's right, and the the, the antithesis of this is what you're talking about, um, Britannia hotels. Uh, you know, it, it was the wrong thing to do, clearly the wrong thing to do. Um, and so if you feel it's right, if it's positive, if it's going to support people, then do it. Do it, get it out there and show your intent.
3: There's a great example just on exactly what Ed's talking about there. Um, this rise of so-called fakeaways that a lot of uh, restaurant brands have been doing. So I mean IKEA absolutely nailed this. So they issued a great story um, soon into lockdown where they 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 deconstructed their famous meatballs and produced the recipe, given that all of their stores were closed, and sent out you know the um, or published in social and online. Um, In the same format that you get assembly instructions for some of their flat pack furniture, how to make IKEA meatballs. And that was a classic example of, of brands wanting to try and provide customers with some semblance of that experience. Not the same, of course, but it tapped completely into the mood of the nation. And then we've seen other brands do it. Burger King did it fabulously as well. So they, you know, their advertising showed all of the ingredients to make your own Whopper. There's been tons of examples <laughs> like that. And, and that's precisely what brands should do in times like this when their main route you know, to market has been closed off. Well, innovate. And I think we've seen some fabulous examples of brands doing that.
0: And Andrew, would you say there's been a direct correlation between the businesses that were f- quick to communicate with their customers, came up with these innovative ideas like Martin and Ed have mentioned, and their performance during lockdown? You know, did these businesses, if they were quick and they, you know, they didn't bury their heads in the sand, have they come out markedly better or is it is it more down to luck or industry?
2: Uh, clearly some industries have been more impacted than others and we talked about manufacturing that's carried on but uh, it's an old adage and it holds true good management teams always shine through and poor management teams don't do so well and i think there are always winners and losers and sadly in this pandemic there will be winners and there will be a lot of losers but i think the winners will largely be those businesses that have got strong management teams, visionary, innovative, that are sitting there thinking what their business will be shaped like in the future and what it will look like, rather than just sitting there thinking when we come back, it'll be just the same and then be quite shocked and disappointed when it doesn't play out that way. So I think a lot of it comes down to that. But clearly for some industries, it's been much more challenging than for others particularly if you're in the uh, you know, the aviation industry or the flight industry. For them, it's, uh, it's been a total closure, hasn't it? If you were EasyJet, Ryanair, people like that, much more difficult for them than for, for other businesses that have been able to continue. So I do think the pandemic has affected some industry sectors uh, in, in a m- much more adverse way than others.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. And, and on the point of challenges, um, it can be hard to stay in contact with your customers to keep reaching out without getting the tone wrong or without bombarding people. I think a lot of brands were so keen to to stay in contact that they often were sending far too many newsletters, were were trying a bit too hard. Um, Martin, I'd like to bring you in here because you've got a very wide perspective on a lot of different brands. I mean, what did you see going on? Is there a fine line between, you know, reminding people that you're there, you're, you want to help and just kind of overwhelming people?
3: I think there is. I mean, I think brands have wanted to demonstrate. You know, there's, there's brands are operating in this environment at the moment, and this is pre-COVID-19. But in an age of what's called purpose, so brands now need to not just make a great product or service and sell it at a good price. You know, they need to also help to try and solve a social challenge, whether that's whether that's literacy for a financial literacy for a financial services business, whether it's Um, Other forms of social injustice. So I think we saw a lot of brands use this as an opportunity to to turbocharge their purpose, if you like, and want to be seen to help. Um, And that's a net good thing. But it's you've got to be careful about bandwagoning. So I think you saw a lot of brands just suddenly jump on the NHS bandwagon, which is what it became, really, um, and wanting to publicize and promote um, donations that they'd made, um, and that's not always the appropriate thing to do, really. Um, so I think there's been a there's been a real difference in how brands have gone about this. The, the other, I think, phenomenon that we've seen within this particular pandemic has been the rise of the CEO email um i'm sure you like me if you subscribed to lots of different databases um you've had an email drop in your inbox from so many different ceos even if you bought a patio furniture from a garden center three years ago all of a sudden their ceo drops an email telling you how important you know staff welfare is and you're thinking okay <laughs> good to know but um so i think we've seen a, a lot of people use that as a, as a as a technique on the flip side you know um you get a you get a regular email from Dave Lewis at Tesco, which has been spelling out precisely how their operating um, principles have changed, how and when you can shop, um, how they're prioritising key workers, um, how the store experience is going to change. And, and some of that has been actually critically important for customers. Um, so there's been a real, I think, a real mix, but um, some of it very necessary and some of it very helpful and very meaningful, very authentic, and some of it perhaps a little, um, a little bandwagoning, I think.
0: Ed, it's confession time. Did you send any from the founder emails or any thank you NHS branding?
1: <laughs> I absolutely <laughs> promise you, not a dicky bird. <laughs> 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 and, and I, 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 I um, like Martin, have had lots of them in my inbox and I cannot, life's too short. But, you know, um, if they really cared to about communicating, they'd have done it beforehand. Uh, and and um, yeah, this is not the time to do that. It's just it, it's shallow. And, um, yeah, I, I, I don't see the benefit of that. But, you know, I do know that in terms of um, the, the way that um, we've done it is we've encouraged our team to pick up the phone to clients. Uh, and talk to them uh, and, and what's extraordinary is uh, and in fact there's quite an interesting little point in fact our call durations have gone up nearly 50 percent in this um period and and i think that's because people like to matter because there's a lot of people who are um you know working in their back bedroom or whatever uh, and um what doesn't um count as engagement is having an email pop in your inbox there's a lot much much better ways than doing that and it's um it's the lazy way and i I don't agree with that in the slightest so so our guys have been picking up the phone to the clients having an natter checking how they're doing and with no agenda whatsoever but just updating what they're up to and how it's working and and that's that's positive communication and and that's the, the the tone that we operate as a company and we will keep going
0: And I've got another question for you, actually, Ed. (laughs) Because am I right in thinking that you bought a business right before lockdown? Yeah. So, yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, how on earth do you integrate a new business and you instill company culture? And you know, Martin was talking about mission. How do you tell people about mission when you can't meet each other? How did you manage that?
1: It wasn't just a new business. It was a new business in the states. Uh, And um, and to make matters worse, our um, head of US operations. Um, quite rightly wanted to come home on sort of the last plane back as her looking after her family and so on. So um, Mel flew back and um, we had um, two weeks prior to the lockdown we'd completed on the acquisition of Voice Nation. So 250 staff in Atlanta and well we still don't know um, our way around the office Um, and it's quite a weird scenario. But Voice Nation as a business has and I believe this is through empowerment. Um, and again it comes back to that blitz spirit and so on. We we removed the um the original owners. They were supposed to be on an earnout, and we felt there's a good chance they will be disruptive um in, in this process. So um, we took them out of the loop altogether. And um we had we were left with the senior management and um I'm saying we, this was very much led by Joanna, the chief exec um, based in the UK. Um, Joanna and Mark spoke to the senior management and said, guys, this is your opportunity to shine. Uh, um, We've we, we got a back to the wall. You are in the chair and you are driving this business. You tell us what you want to do. And it was a very different approach to a normal acquisition where you'd go in and you'd really try and instill that new culture and this is the way of working and so on. you go in with your hatchet, make the big changes fast and so on. Very, very different approach. And, and and we said to them, guys, what do you want to do? What have you been itching to do for ages? They delivered a list of actions. We empowered them to go and fulfill it. Voice Nation has every month since, so this was um in February. Every month since, broken every record, every forecast in terms of operational performance, sales, and profit. And it's a real lesson. It's extraordinary, uh, far, far better than in our wildest dreams. And you, I can't put it down to anything other than trusting people. And, and you know, um, with hindsight, we might look back and we say, you know, "This management were off the scale brilliant." But I don't think they were. I, I just think that they were in a box and um, there's been a chance to really show what they can do and they've excelled exceeded every expectation
0: that's an incredible story and i think that's interesting because yeah you 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 tore up the rule book and yet sometimes doing things slightly counterintuitively brings about the, the best results go, go and do it go and you know make your dreams come true
1: <laughs> importantly we had no option we would not have done yeah. it this yeah, but um it, 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 and it's changed us and it'll change the way that all businesses work but you know, um to not have a single member of Money Penny's team on the ground over there and for it to
3: perform so well brilliant.
0: That is brilliant, and I think that that brings us quite neatly onto our next segment, which is about adapting to change. Um, we'd love to talk about how um, different businesses have tweaked their products, their features, their services um, in the wake of the pandemic to make it just to, to to react to customer demand, and 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 whether any of those changes are going to last. You know, are they going to be a positive impact for the for the long term? Um, Martin, I might bring you in here because um, have you made any changes to to the way that City Press operates that you you know have 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 reacted to customer demand but are also proving really positive in terms of in terms of the business the bottom line going forward
3: yeah I mean I think like Ed said I mean when we had kind of soft lockdown as it was on the 16th um, all of our people, you know, immediately we, we asked them to, to work from home for the foreseeable. And we've been operating as a business remotely for, you know, what must that be nearly 16 weeks now? Um pretty seamlessly. Um so I, I think that, that was the that was the first kind of major operational shift. And for us, you know, we've got we've got a hundred people in four different locations. So that was quite unusual. We've now got a hundred people in a hundred locations. Um but the business functions um just as well regardless. I think in terms of products and services i think one of the first things that we did um uh, in hard lockdown was was actually reach out to all of our um, clients and discuss what their emerging challenges were so rather than sit and wait and see how might we react to a new form of demand we thought well let's let's start that conversation really Um, and i think historically probably about 80% of our business was very much about helping brands build audiences, connect with audiences through proactive, outbound, creative campaigning work. All of a sudden, that wasn't immediately relevant for a lot of brands because everyone was taking stock of this new landscape, this new environment, which was emerging very quickly. And a lot of brands, you'll have seen the headlines, just pulled advertising spend, pulled any form of creative marketing activity literally overnight. Um, and what we did around about 20% of our business was very much about supporting brands on reactive crisis and issues communications, really. And all of a sudden, that in, that demand was inverted. So we we needed 80% of our people really supporting, um, you know, our 60-70 client brands on their crisis and issues management, internal comms, customer comms, media, uh, public affairs, regulatory affairs, investor relations, all of that stuff. So, we had to very much kind of just mobilize people um into very new different team structures to provide very different types of service and support to clients um but you you design that yourself, you don't wait and see how is how has my how of my clients' needs changed. you have that conversation, discuss how they are changing and adapt accordingly. so I think that's been probably one big learning um through this.
0: I suppose that that's worth mentioning isn't it that when you're a when you're a small to medium sized business you are by nature more agile I mean Andrew, if I could bring you in here, um, let's talk a little bit about the adaptability of, of certain kinds of businesses, certain sizes of business. When you've been advising different companies, I mean, have you seen that the, the, the kind of larger corporations have maybe struggled more to adapt and and, and read read the room, as it were, and, and change fast enough for it to have a material impact than perhaps the, the smaller businesses?
2: The smaller businesses have definitely been, uh, have got the ability to be more agile I think the larger businesses that we've dealt with have certainly adapted pretty well to the challenge as well. And But going forward, uh, is, there will need to be change uh, because even in our own business, we've, we've adapted remarkably well. Say everybody's working from home and we're dealing with some pretty high-profile household names, Debenhams, Carluccios, ever, uh, all have been in the press that that our firm are dealing with. And we've had to pitch for work. And that's quite difficult when you're talking to a management team over a Zoom call or a Teams call. Uh, it's not easy because you lose that, that personal contact that you would have in a face-to-face meeting. And whilst it's worked well, it, it can't continue. Uh, we, we, and I mean, in my case, we we have started to go back out to client sites because it's just necessary. And, and actually, because we're dealing with businesses that are facing stress and de-stress situations, you need to kick the tires, you need to see the businesses. So whilst you can do it to an extent, sitting at home with all the technology, part part of our DNA is actually that we need to go and see those businesses, touch them, feel them. And we're starting to do that again now. And I I think that will gradually, uh, we'll see that trend continue as more and more of us get get back to the coalface.
0: Um ed is is that true for you? Do you feel like you've had to adapt quite a lot as a leader um and you know as 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 a business owner just to kind of to find your way at the moment i think
1: uh, yeah, but, um like everyone else uh, yeah, uh, massive change now um and um I don't agree with Andrew in terms of how the sort of Um, will go back to actually kicking the tires i i I think people will um only click the tires if they really got to Uh, and i think that the value of personal presence as part of the sales process as it were the new business process has been put far lower on the list um and uh, And I think that what we've all what we've learned is out of this um, sort of zoom culture you could call it, um, is that we can complete and we can judge and we can um, create to a degree over video without having to sit down face to face. um like you all, you know I, I've sat in um, a few board meetings every single month, and they've been constructive surprisingly constructive in some ways far more constructive um and and so, so i i think in terms of that operating process client communication sales process new business side of it i think it's very unlikely to um go back to that presence unless it's really essential and i hope it doesn't because you know it's it's not needed um and you know, therein is the challenge for the airlines, because uh, you know, suddenly if we're looking at a business in the States and we don't need to jump on a plane straight away, it, it changes, changes everything. Um, but but you know, it, it's all about opportunity. What we've got at the moment is um, in every business and on every communications level, somebody has taken the pot and shaken it up. And all we know, the only thing we can guarantee is change. And the businesses who thrive out of this, and, and this is you know, very much to Andrew's point, it is the businesses that thrive out of this are the guys that take change as an opportunity. And they address that opportunity and they create it out of the new way of working. Uh, and the ones who will struggle out of this are the ones who hark back to the old way and think, how do they get back to where they were? And, and that's not going to, to help anyone going forward.
0: Yeah, that's a salient point. I think that's probably a good place to, to end this segment and move on to our final topic, which is about managing the media. And and Martin, I'd love to hear from you how how the media agenda has changed, because it feels like from from my side, all I see is coronavirus related reporting. I mean, have you seen any other clients get a look in if it's not immediately related to the pandemic? What's going on?
3: Well, look, I mean, I think pretty soon into this, it was um, wall-to-wall, 24-7 coronavirus coverage. Newsrooms have never been so busy, and often a lot of media organisations are wrestling with depleted teams. So at the same time, you've got a news cycle which is full, a news cycle which is faster um, and less resource to stay across it. So certainly in our discussions with media, um, at every level, um over the course of the past kind of three and a half, four months, um they've just struggled to stay across the news agenda full stop um because of um because of the sheer pace uh of change. Um so but I think typically what happens is media moves in waves. So I think there was an initial thirst for how are businesses, individuals, society, how are we reacting to it? Um But soon after that, you start to get that next phase, which is right. Well, how are we rebuilding from this and how is that new normal going to look? Um, And I know from a number of conversations with um, certainly city editors over the course of the past couple of weeks, they are now actively looking for stories of businesses who are into that rebuild phase and actually looking through and past the current pandemic. Um, And actually saying that their readers are looking for a little bit of light relief and and a different kind of content. Um, So businesses that are surviving and thriving regardless of um, the pandemic. So I think that agenda has changed. But the other real big shift that we've obviously observed, I think, in terms of media agenda is far greater scrutiny on the actions and behaviours of brands and businesses during and after. The pandemic. So, millions of businesses rightly have accessed government support through all the different schemes, whether it's furlough or through the various government lending schemes, civil CL bills, business bounce back loans, etc. Now, certainly on a number of calls that I've had with senior city journalists, there's almost this sense that they are watching now the actions of business, particularly. FTSE listed businesses and very large private um, um, and often foreign-owned businesses um, and are watching to see how they um act and behave going forward on issues such as um boardroom pay, on dividends, um, etc. So there's almost this this scrutiny that's emerged on brands and businesses, I think, as a result of um as a result of this current um pandemic which is definitely a – I mean, media has always been there to hold businesses and, and politics to account, but I just think that's a particularly um, closely watched area of corporate behaviour, really, over the course of the coming years. And this is – I think this is here to stay for a period of time, actually, uh, rather than being a um, short short-lived phenomenon.
0: Because we, we've already seen those stories emerging. I, I just remember seeing all the vitriol on Twitter when Victoria Beckham claimed mm. furlough for her business. And they were like, oh, you've got billions in the bank or 160 million or whatever it was. How dare? But then you just think you wouldn't be a very good business leader if you were ploughing your personal fortune. Into your company when there's this pot of money that everyone else in your sector is accessing, free, you know, free support, it wouldn't, it just wouldn't be the best business decision. And yet, in the media, if you look at it from, you know, what the public will think, it's the worst decision. um Andrew, you're nodding there. I'd, I'd love to hear your taking How do you manage sort of the needs of your business versus now, how we're playing? It's all playing out in in the public eye, and you've got to kind of manage your brand reputation. At the same time,
2: I think you've hit the nail on the head. It is managing your brand reputation. And, and, and you've mentioned Victoria Beckham. I think it might have been Liverpool, uh, but certainly in the Premier League and football, uh, there was a U-turn. Uh, I think there was a, a, furl- a furloughing and, and then there was a U-turn because it was felt that the owners had deep pockets and shouldn't be dipping into the scheme. So it is interesting, but, but high profile sports clubs high profile you know media stars are much more under the public spotlight from that regard than than your, your typical uh, small uh, business an SME business and 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 that's a, again a different market to the market that uh, Martin was talking about the FTSE businesses when he's talking about uh, boardroom pay and dividends i think at, at a smaller level uh, 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 At that level, SME businesses, media are much more interested locally in what's going to happen with employment coming out of of this pandemic, because when furlough finishes, and I'm probably changing the subject here a little bit, but when furlough finishes, a lot of people are not going to have jobs, and it's quite a worry, and I think there will be quite a big focus on that, because quite clearly, businesses a lot of businesses won't have the need for the same number of people that they had going into the pandemic so what is going to happen when furlough comes to an end to them and and in smaller businesses uh, in the regions there's much more of a focus on that and, and and the implications of unemployment than perhaps there is on uh, the, the areas that Martin's rightly pointed out, bordering pay and dividends. And so many companies have already said, haven't they, this year that they're not paying a dividend. And those that have gone ahead, I think it might've been legal in general, that said they were, seem to be getting pilloried in the press for the fact that they were bucking the trend and still going to pay their dividend to shareholders. So fascinating how the media react.
0: Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. And actually, I'd like to bring you in again, Martin, because um, that point about these looming redundancies, what advice are you giving um or don't name any names but any, any brands that you're working with you know what, what would you say to any companies who are going to make redundancies yeah. and are worried about a backlash how can that be managed in the best way
3: yeah well I think there's a number of I guess um best practice pointers that brands and businesses can follow I think the first thing is a, a level of honesty and authenticity in the way in which you communicate that message it's a very difficult message to deliver. Um. But I think it, it needs proper context. So you need to you need to help everybody understand that these are actions that are difficult but necessary in order to guarantee the survival of the business, so that it can rebuild and into the future. Uh, and that's a concept that I think people are perfectly capable of understanding, however difficult the news is. Um, that said, um, it needs to be done with compassion. I mean, complete compassion. I've seen some wonderful examples. I mean, they bring a tear to a glass eye, but um, examples of where CEOs are saying, this has been the hardest decision of my professional career in 30 years. Uh, and this was never a position anybody would have ever wanted to be in. And there's some really heartfelt, genuine, honest um, displays of, um, of affection and emotion, you know what I mean? And I think that's, that's, there's a real place for that. Um, then there's also a, a couple of points I think around, um, you know, thinking about, well, what's going to be important to your employees as a takeout from that? Well, you know, what kind of support, What what is the process that's going to be followed? How are you putting their best interests at the centre of your decision making as you go through a, a statutory consultation period, if that's relevant? What kind of support are you offering to employees to help them, you know, re-employ? Um, so I think there's definitely an area around that. Plus then, that's the in, internal comms piece. What was i think in fashion uh, up until a number of years ago was that businesses would try and make redundancies on the quiet and issue that to that notice to their employees and hope that media (laughs) you know wouldn't learn about it well i think what we're seeing more i think when you know when there's a reasonable number of employees who are at risk um a really important step sometimes is to engage your local constituency mp as, as an employer because it's in their backyard and they are concerned about what's happening in their constituency, and bringing them on board, helping them be, be informed about why you as an employer are having to take those steps, just means that when inevitably media do find out and do contact their local MP for the classic, you know, rent-a-quote reaction, that MP is informed and can give an honest appraisal of the situation, rather than it be a, you know, a knee-jerk sensationalist reaction. Um, and engaging media as and when it's appropriate so that media can again understand you know the context of those decisions and why why they are necessary sad but necessary um so I think there are a number of you know pointers that um the businesses can follow to help um to help that exercise them. Really.
0: that is such good advice such practical advice I think for anyone listening that's going to be in that in that situation um Ed, I'd like to kind of move on to a slightly more positive <laughs> aspect of, of interacting with the media, because obviously we've covered like the worst case scenario. But how have you been? Have you been doing any PR? Have you been trying to talk to journalists about anything that's not COVID related? And have any of these new relationships been fruitful? Or you know, have you you struck up any exciting new campaigns or partnerships?
1: Well, um, <laughs> we've actually run a our first. Um, sort of mainstream media um advertising campaign. Um oh, wow and and um is being run again this weekend and it's quite a, a step change for us. Um and um in terms of the PR side of things, I, I think there's been quite a lot um well I've been chatting to lots of people because I I think we are in a very fortunate position of being one of the few businesses that um it is um growing Quite considerably in the um, current scenario, um, and, and I think you know, everyone needs good news, and, and and hopefully we're not we're not growing at the at the expense of other businesses. We're growing um, as a result of supporting businesses going through it, and I think that makes us a very good news story. Um, so but we've certainly been been busy on that front, um, and this new world of home working. Um, how does a business maintain voice communications or text communications when they're at home? And um, I sound like I'm selling. I'm not trying to sell, but, but basically, the, the, um, money, money is a natural, natural place to go to. Um, and to put that into context, I think we're, um, I, I, um, excuse me, I might be 10, 10 numbers out or something, but around 300, um, different estate agents, just, just the state agent sector have applied to start using money, money. Yeah, and, 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 so, and that's a, um it it, that's not blowing money from trumpet. that's about how businesses are saying we're going to change we're working differently um and um and i think that's positive because it means they're getting out of bed and they're thinking how do we make hay out of this how how do we keep the wheels turning how does property look in the future and it's the same in law firms and so lots of other sectors um and so, so so yes um fortunately for us the press has been reasonably kind um our business is growing. Um, we will be changing the way that we work. And we'll be making changes in money penny to support that. But the um, yeah, the, the the whole media side of things, we've been on the right side of it, and hopefully we're the good
3: news story. I think Ed makes a really interesting point. Now, I think there's a it's a fallacy that British media, particularly business media, are just looking for. For bad news that's not the case at all every conversation I've had with section editors reporters in business and city desks across the UK they are looking for examples of businesses who are adapting showing resilience um, and actually rebuilding and thriving and that might be with um, government lend government back lending but media really want to understand how sectors and businesses are being impacted and how they're developing their, their propositions and scaling their businesses through this. I think it's a brilliant opportunity for a lot of businesses, small, medium and large, to get that story told. Um, we are consuming more media than we've ever done before at the moment. <laughs> if you look at the figures that are coming out of Reuters and various other sources, you know, news consumption, hard news consumption skyrocketed over the past four months. Um, and I think that's a brilliant opportunity for brands and businesses to use the media um, you know, to, to help Tell their story.
1: By news consumption, do you mean um, as in the number of people reading Voices and so on? Is that what you mean? Uh,
3: Exactly, yeah. So, exactly. I mean, general media consumption, and we include within that obviously, you know, media um, streaming services and social media. But if we look at hard news content manufactured by news organizations, consumption of that content has increased. I think 30% is the figure that I saw reported recently. And, um, because that's where we, when in an uncertain time, there's a flight to trusted news sources to help us understand and make sense of what's happening in the world. Um, and that provides, I think, a, a brilliant opportunity for SMEs in particular. I would add that there's been a huge rise in what's called hyperlocal news consumption, bit of a jargon. But as our universes have contracted during lockdown, We've tended to spend a lot of our time in close proximity to where we live and therefore wanting to understand what's happening in your local town or village has become a lot more important. And we've seen huge rises in engagement of particularly um, traditionally local weekly newspapers, mainly their content on, on Facebook, has seen huge rises in consumption as we, as we want to discover what's happening in our local area, how we're going to entertain our children or, or whatever it might be.
0: That's fascinating, because that is just the, the the news agenda and people's people's tastes changing dramatically, becoming more local, you know, wanting to learn very different things. And companies are going to have to understand that, I think, and, and, and leverage that if they want to be seen. Um I think that's quite a good place for us to, 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 to come to an end. I'd just like to finish really by asking each of you uh, the change or the decision that you made during lockdown that you feel has had the most positive and most profound effect, um, either in your own business or in a business that you, you've helped or advised. Um, I, I'd love to know what that single moment was that kind of sticks out in your mind as being, you know, that that was a smart move. Um I might start with you, Andrew, if you don't mind I'm putting you on the spot, but
2: um... it sounds a, a fairly trite one or simple one, but really it was deciding that we were going to have a separate platform for our team to deal with social matters, not business matters. And it absolutely was worth its weight in gold and is still thriving. And, and we've learnt so much more about each other as people, as families, as individuals. It's been brilliant. And, uh, that's really helped cement and grow our team, so that's been our single best thing using that platform.
0: Oh, I don't think that sounds trite. I think that that makes you know going to work even at home far more bearable when you have that that feeling of camaraderie and and you know that's there I think that's that's it's good advice um Ed, how about you?
1: Um, without a doubt um, working with everybody and shaping the Covid crisis as the chance and telling everybody this was their chance to shine and this is the greatest opportunity that's ever faced Moneypenny and everyone buying into that and getting on board and turning it into
3: our moment.
0: Turning threat into opportunity I love it and and finally Martin?
3: I think um, I think the way in which our business operates so how We've had a team of 100 people from every discipline in comms, you know, work so collaboratively uh, and so creatively. I think has helped us understand that actually there is a different model into how you get teams to collaborate. It doesn't necessarily need to mean bringing large groups of people into physical spaces. That that there'll always be a role for that, and it will always be relevant and necessary, but um i think that's been um the biggest shift for us and, and it helps people have a very different relationship with work where work needs to fit in around people's lifestyles and responsibilities that are outside of work the more you're able to do that as an employer the um, i think the more motivated and empowered your your, your people are so it's just um, i think we we knew that as a concept i think this is really accelerated Um, that shift and proven to a lot of business owners and leaders that you know what it works
0: yeah we've all become a lot more human haven't we um I think that's a great place to end thank you all so much for joining me today and thank you for sharing your tips and advice and lessons learned along the way it's much appreciated and have a great rest of this sunny day and hopefully we'll catch up again soon Next week on Uncharted, The Road to Recovery, we'll be discussing the levelling up of the regional economy and how the arrival of coronavirus has dealt a blow to some of the UK's most successful businesses outside of London. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts for the next episode to be automatically downloaded to your phone.